Have you ever wondered if it's possible to live in sync with your cycle? Do you struggle with a negative mindset around your period? Are you wondering if it's possible to be feminist and anti-birth control? We're going to explore these questions and so much more in the Managing Your Fertility podcast, because this is about helping you live a whole and full life. I'm your host and guide, Bridget Busacker, joining you in this journey of exploration related to women's healthcare, feminism, and fertility awareness. Are you ready? Let's get started. Mary, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So before we jump into our topic today, I want to introduce our listeners to you, and they may already be familiar with you. Mary grew up right outside of New Orleans and married a Southern Louisiana boy in 2013. After 12 years of severely painful periods, she was finally diagnosed with endometriosis, followed by adenomyosis diagnosis seven years later. Now infertile, she and her husband have a beautiful adopted daughter who is now five years old and they are waiting to adopt again. Mary's late diagnoses inspired her to improve fertility awareness and women's health education by um, speaking, writing, social media, building more awareness and creating greater access for women. She is a Creighton practitioner, founder of Taking Back the Terms and co-founder and executive director of the new nonprofit organization, Fanbase. Mary, super excited to have you here to share more about your own journey. And can you just kick it off by telling us more about yourself and your own journey with fertility awareness and infertility, going beyond the introduction here that I just um, shared with Yeah, I'd love to. So as you just mentioned, I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. I grew up playing sports. It's one of my favorite uh, hobbies to do. And I also love eating sweets, especially chocolate. But um, I played competitive volleyball in high school. And then I went um, on to UNO, where I got my bachelor's degree in exercise physiology, and then went on to become a physical therapist assistant. So that was my first career path. I loved sports. I was very interested in the human body and I loved helping people. So I did that for, um, I worked in outpatient physical therapy for about four years. And then I did two years of home health physical therapy until my husband and I adopted our daughter, Bella. So she's now five years old and we're waiting to adopt again. We're we're in the process right now. Excuse me. Um, So throughout that time, I, I just... I always, I started my period about 13 years old. It was always very heavy and painful. So as something that I struggled, I struggled with throughout high school, throughout work, had to miss work on occasion. Um, and I didn't get diagnosed with an endometriosis until I was about 25, 24, 25 years old. So it was a very late diagnosis. Um, in part because the only thing I was offered was birth control. So that was very difficult for me because the disease had progressed so much over throughout that time that I I wasn't diagnosed. Um, And then, so I was diagnosed right about a year or two before my husband and I got married. So I learned before that we, we got married that we might have trouble getting pregnant, that I might be infertile, but I was optimistic (laughs) even still. And we got married. We started trying to get pregnant right away just because we knew we may have issues. I had already had a couple of surgeries before we got married. And then, uh, you know, we were hopeful, but as, as more time passed, it, it just became pretty obvious that infertility would be something that we would struggle with. And over the time, I, I had some more diagnoses, more pain and issues. I've had 12 surgeries total. 
Um, finally, that adenomyosis diagnosis came in, which is endometriosis in the muscle of the uterus itself. So the only treatment is to remove the whole uterus or to remove portions of the uterus where the adenomyosis is its worst. So I was able to remove a portion of it at first, but ultimately it came back and um, I just couldn't keep having surgeries. So about a year, just over a year ago, I had to have a medical hysterectomy. So I am now permanently infertile and hope to just educate women and motivate them so that they don't have to go through the same things that I've had to go through. Wow. I mean, that, I think this, your story is so powerful. And I think, you know, and I'm sure resonating with those who are listening, who have experienced a wide variety of care and treatment when it comes to their fertility. Um, and it's so challenging, as I know you're going to speak to in a little bit here, you know, just mm-hmm. in trying to figure out how do I navigate this? How do I not feel so totally alone in the process and trying to find, you know, the right doctors and practitioners who may be able to help in this process. Um, I'm also just amazed in how the Lord works and how he is just continually taking these really hard parts and, and creating and helping us be co-creators and just new ministries and new, new spaces for work and where we can care for others. I mean, you are now a Creighton practitioner. You're founder of Taking Back the Terms. You speak, you talk on social media, you're educating women constantly. And now you're co-founder and executive director for Fanbase with Emily Frazy over at Total Wine. I mean, this is just huge. And just seeing this, this mixture of, of joy and sorrow and the newness yes. and in, in the space of like where there is still sorrow, there is still hardship and these intense moments of, of struggle and also this intense beauty um, to see that you are using this, this space in your own experiences to help educate women and help them to not feel alone and to not feel like they, they don't know what next steps to take. You're helping them figure that out. So can you tell us a bit more about your work with taking back the terms and with fan base right now? Yeah, I think you said it beautifully. God uses the suffering in our lives to motivate us to, to, to really get into what he's called us to do. Right. And so that's what has, has really helped me actually is finding a purpose for all the struggles that I've been through again, bottom line, I don't want other women to have to go through what I've had to. And a large part of that was preventable. So, I mean, even possibly my infertility could have been prevented had I just been educated and diagnosed sooner. I mean, it's so it's not simple, but it is kind of simple. So I, when I first started taking back the terms, my goal was to, to educate women, uh, young girls really on like, you don't have to be on birth control. This is what birth control does to your body. This is what it doesn't do for your body because so many of them are just being offered this one size fits all pill by our, by the doctor and not being educated on anything. It took me 24, I was 24, 25 years old when I was diagnosed, didn't learn of fertility awareness until several months after I was diagnosed, after I already had my first surgery with the only treatment plan of birth control. Well, that's not good enough for us. We deserve so much better as women. And so a large part of what I hope to do again is simply educate on birth control, educate on um, artificial reproductive technologies and the alternatives. So, I mean, I grew up Catholic, right? So I was aware of NFP. That's just kind of the thing that, that we do as Catholics before we get married. 
was completely unaware of that other aspect of fertility awareness that's so valuable to our health and is completely applicable to women, whether or not sex or marriage or pregnancy is an option. It's independent of it, but it also goes along with it. So um, that's what I'm passionate about is just speaking at high schools, um, help. I really like to share my story because again, had I been educated on this sooner, I would have gotten treated sooner. Um, I'll never know if that would have led to pregnancy or not, but it would have increased my chances by a lot. I wouldn't have experienced so many years of severe pain. Uh, I would have gotten answers a lot sooner. And so a fan base is just the next level of that. When I met Emily, um, we have the, um, we learned so much from each other because we have opposite fertility stories. And that's where we found a lot of actually, ironically, a lot of common ground in that. And so we figured between the two of us, we can cover a lot of ground. And at first it was hard because as I struggle with infertility, it's, it's not always easy to connect with women who have children so easily. And she had two surprise pregnancies, but it was her openness to my suffering that in turn, like really helped me to get to know her in her own brand of suffering that was very different than mine. But also again, suffering is universal. That's an opportunity for us all to come together and learn from each other, no matter where you are on the fertility spectrum. So that's the value of fan base. We want to educate others, um, help them to find the method that fits them best efficiently, and then to also help them find restorative reproductive medicine for when that is needed as well. That's so awesome. I'm so excited for you guys and just the work that you're doing and just how beautifully you said um, and noting that with suffering being universal, how we can receive each other, you know, and just yes. the beauty and receiving each other is so powerful. I mean, just to see, you know, as you're, as you're talking about this experience and receiving each other, you, you birthed something new together for, right. for other women to be able to experience and say, okay, I'm not alone in this. And who knows what will come of this? You know, it's not just that maybe or not only that they will start charting and, and getting the care that they need, but who knows what other ministries may stem from this. And um, just the hope, I think that I know in our um, conversations that we've had to see women really taking this um, and, and sharing on their own, you know, and sharing in their own way so that we have more and more voices in this space talking about their experiences yeah. and sharing openly so that more and more women recognize that this is possible to learn their bodies, that it, birth control isn't the only option and it's not the only care plan and that there are so many more ways in which we can take care of ourselves and love ourselves too. Yeah. So as we get into this topic, um, just, I think as a, as a way to build the foundation here, I think a lot of times when we hear the word infertility, um, it's, it, it kind of speaks to this idea of suffering. We're a little uncomfortable. Oh gosh, what is mm -hmm. it? What is it? What does it look like? Um, what should I say? What should I do for ourselves? Or if we're walking with a friend or a coworker or someone in our community, can you just describe for us, you know, what is infertility? What is that um, medically, but also I think personally, like what's that range? What does it really mm -hmm. entail? Great question. Yeah, I think the most helpful thing that I've learned about infertility is that it's a symptom. It is a symptom, just like, you know, if you have a fever, for example, a fever is a symptom that there's something like an infection or something that needs to be addressed. Okay, not you don't want to just treat the fever, you want to treat the underlying cause. And that's what infertility represents. Infertility is a symptom 
that should be directing us to the underlying cause, which could be a number of different things that can be causing our infertility. So I want to speak to that physically, but also emotionally, that's been helpful for me. And as hard as infertility has been emotionally, understanding it as a health issue has, has really, not to say it's not been still a, a very large struggle, but looking at it as this is not something I've done wrong. I am not a bad Catholic because I'm not able to have children. You know, God is not punishing me. There are numerous things that affect a human being's individual to do a number of things. I have one that somehow affects my ability to get pregnant. But the good thing is that with all the research, with all the science, with the advancements in fertility awareness and women's health, I have the opportunity to get a lot of answers as well. So um, like I said, a number of things can cause infertility. And I'm not a physician. So I would say ask your physician for like a full detailed list, but just some of the things that I've learned along the way through my experience, through my own research, for example, they have some, we have some common women's health diseases. You might be familiar with endometriosis can cause infertility, PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome can cause infertility. Also just you know, not having the right nutrition. My co-founder, Emily, is just learning recently of some secondary infertility issues as a result of an isthmocele, which is a structural abnormality from C-sections that can cause infertility. I, I read a really excellent article from Dr. Susan Caldwell. Um, I have a quote right here. She talks about the upside of infertility being able to help us um, again, if infertility is a symptom, it's going to help direct us to become healthier and treat the underlying cause. She talks about how birth control, many times long-term use of birth control can deplete us of so many nutrients. So she says in this article, the work of ovulation and corpus luteum production requires that women are really healthy. Just like an elite athlete, ovulating women need great sleep, nutrition, hydration, and exercise. Infertility is often the first subtle sign that a woman is depleted and needs more to be able to nurture a new life for nine months. So think about it, pregnancy, we need to be very healthy in order to, to nourish and, not, and support the life of another human being for a long period of time. That means our body has to be working its best. Um, so again, infertility, I think of it as information, gathering information. And then again, these days are there are certain physicians who are able to, to read our bodies, read our charts, and that directs them into doing other tests, you know, diagnostics and actual treatment to address the underlying, so underlying issues so that the woman is as healthy as she can be. When the woman is as healthy as she can be, she's more likely to achieve a pregnancy naturally. And the thing is, there's very few reasons that women need to wait so long um, to find out they're infertile, or even sometimes, you know, things that we can address earlier will prevent them from becoming infertile in the first place. So, so just the average woman being taught the value of fertility awareness from a young age, many women have no idea that they're having issues. Maybe they don't have severe pain like I did, but there's some underlying hormonal abnormality or this or that. Um, 
there, and as we age, our hormones change as well. Our, our age, our environmental factors affect our hormones. So just because everything is working well when we're younger, say we're older, we're, we're, we're ready to achieve a pregnancy. Doesn't mean that that'll be the case. So if we're charting, we have a, a basic understanding of our health. We can treat these things sooner, right? When we're younger and our bodies respond better to treatment so that when we're ready to have, have children, we'll be in a much better place for that. And that's the goal that I hope to, um, that's, that's what I hope to portray in the things that are in my work that I do um, just in general. This is awesome. Yeah. I, this is so helpful just to have, um, I think a more complete, now I don't even say definition, but just conversation around this, because I think oftentimes it's so bite-sized mm-hmm. or it, it can be in some ways. I think when we see it talked about on social media, which is great, but it can sometimes um, stay very superficial. You know, part of it's, you only have so many characters, right? Unless you're dedicating like you are time and space to actually talk about it. I think for many, it's just like, oh, I want to acknowledge it and I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. And I think that can create this sense of isolation or just confusion for women wondering like, well, how would I, how would I know if I'm struggling with infertility or if there's a problem, what should I do? And I think, you know, like you've said, getting at the, at the core of, you know, charting your cycle, understanding your cycle, but then also having a physician to be able to help walk with you to say, okay, here's what's going on. And like you talked about earlier, starting at younger ages is powerful. It's important. Mm -hmm. It's helpful for women. And I, it ties in with my, my next question for you is, you know, why does it seem to be this one size fits all for diagnosis and treatment processes when it comes to our cycles as women? I mean, you've talked about, you know, it's just so focused on birth control. Mm-hmm. And we're not really educating women, you know, when you go to a doctor's office or even in a health class, we're not talking to women about here's how you can learn your body. It's like, okay, here's the way so that you don't get pregnant and have a baby when you don't want to. And that's such a limiting, yeah. <laughs> that's such a limiting educational point. Like what, what does that even mean? What is that telling women? Yeah, it's, it's so frustrating. And it's also very confusing because I talk about birth control as a treatment and the reason that it's often used as a treatment, I should say. But, and let me, let me unpack that a little bit is because when basically when I first got diagnosed at 25 years old and of endometriosis, my doctor prescribed birth control, um, with the understanding, these were her words of this will preserve your fertility until you're ready to get pregnant. And I think that is a common understanding that we're going to, um, give you birth control to quote unquote, preserve your fertility. But the thing is, and I think it comes down to, this is just my opinion. I don't have any research to back this up, but think about the time and the money basically. I mean, big pharma, okay. Is making a lot of money from birth control, but also time in the doctor's office. They're only give, they're only allotted a certain amount of time to have these conversations with us and time costs money. Um, these big hospitals, right? Like they don't, they want to see a certain amount of patients a day that gets to the bottom line. And it takes time to educate a woman on what birth control is doing and is not doing to their body. It takes time to educate a woman on her options, on her, the way her body works on fertility awareness. And they're not, these doctors are not hardly educated on fertility awareness in med school. So they don't understand it themselves. Facts about fertility does a great job. And this is part of their huge mission to educate medical professionals on the effectiveness of these methods and restorative reproductive health medicine, but it's just taking so long to trickle down, but we're fortunate 
um, to have. Now that's main what I refer to as mainstream gynecology, but we're fortunate to have this growing branch of restorative reproductive medicine that does not prescribe birth control or refer for artificial reproductive technologies. Their goal is to address the underlying issue, which isn't that kind of like what you see, what you think of when you think physician. So it's, it's, it's just, it's not funny. <laughs> I mean, they take that oath to do no harm yet they're prescribing birth control to just to women in huge amounts, which is essentially shutting down their reproductive system altogether. That's not healthy for women. So it just, it's, it makes sense to put our, our focus, our support into this restorative reproductive medicine, which is another thing, you know, birth control is one size fits all. It shuts down the reproductive system period, but the alternative in restorative reproductive medicine sees every individual as every woman as individual, as unique, it's tailor-made and our uniqueness is what makes us so beautiful in every way. Well, it's fertility awareness and restorative reproductive medicine that really captures um, our uniqueness as women. And that is what we deserve. This is so good, Mary. Thank you for just, you know, really diving in and talking about this. And, and I think, you know, I think others would agree to your aspect. And you said, okay, I don't have research to back this up, but the amount of time, it's so true. I think we, we, we feel that. I mean, I felt that in experiences with doctors where it's like, I need like another half hour to talk about this or like, what do I do? I have to schedule another appointment and I have to figure out how to do that. And I know, you know, there are conversations around like, how do we change standard of care? How do we improve in other areas? And I think this is why it's so amazing to have um, nonprofits and for-profits popping up and educational opportunities that are really coming forward by so many different women and men too, um, you know, like fan base, taking back the terms, managing your fertility, cycle prep, natural women. I mean, like I can keep going and listing them off. And I, I hope I, you know, I hope that I can list off more and more and more that there isn't enough time to do it because I think these are, these are the ways in which we're responding to these spaces where we're just like, this isn't enough. And it's not to blame and shame doctors. I mean, they are, they are a part of a system that is really so demanding of their time and so exhausting and not allowing them to have the time with patients that we would desire. And so I think, um, it's a huge, it is a huge problem and it's, 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 it's a challenge. And how, how many, it's treatment aside, honestly, so many of us just want to be heard. We want a doctor who's just going to be able to listen. And I, I do believe most doctors do want this. It's like, you're saying like, these are good doctors. I don't mean to put down like the med school or, or doctors in this system. They really do want to help women. It's just the way the system is. I call myself like a victim of that machine, right? Like that it needs a whole overhaul. It doesn't mean these aren't good people. But most of the time we just want to be heard and there's just not enough time allotted in those small appointments for that to happen a lot. And birth control is kind of an easy fix if you look at it from their perspective, because it takes away the symptoms. They just don't fully explain typically that it's, it's a, it's a bandaid. It's not fixing the, the, the underlying problem. It's just turning off the system. So the woman doesn't feel it. So it's really important that women are educated and look, here's your choices, but understand what you're actually choosing. Yes, absolutely. And I think, I know we're going to get into that, but I'm just going to bring up this question now. Like what, I think, what are some of those changes? um, Because you segued so beautifully for us that you want to see as part Mm -hmm. of, uh, as part of healthcare, especially for women's health. Um, 
related to fertility awareness and fertility. I know we've chatted a little bit about this with informed consent, but I, I, I want your fire coming to mm. me because I think this is something that it's huge. It's so necessary. Well, so many women don't understand what informed consent is. They don't know that they deserve it. They don't even know the right questions to ask. We, we count on our doctors when they're prescribing a medicine to give us all the information. That's all this means. When we are given a prescription for birth control, we consent to take it. It's under their understanding that we're informed, but I mean, who knows how many times women are actually informed fully again, as to what are the side effects of birth control, they probably get some of the side effects, but that's, I'm guessing the extent of it. I mean, I, I was offered birth control by three or four doctors. Not one of them gave me any information on it, except that it might help my symptoms. Um, so we need to fully understand the side effects, potential long-term effects. There are risks for blood clots, for cancer, especially breast cancer. It does decrease the risk of some cancers. I can't remember exactly which ones it is, but it increases the risk for other cancers. And also how about just explaining what I just mentioned. Now, this isn't actually going to um, treat your endometriosis, for example, if that's the issue, uh, but it's going to take your symptoms away for a while. Now, keep in mind when you get off of birth control later on, potentially to get pregnant, um, your disease is still going to be there. Your symptoms will likely return. And then you're going to be older and have to deal with this when you're maybe trying to get pregnant. So I'm, those are the things that I'm talking about. What about the, the health benefits of ovulation that you're taking away by taking birth control? Um, ovulation is the only way that our bodies produce progesterone and estrogen naturally. And there are great benefits to bone, brain, breath health, uh, breast health, breath health. That would be nice too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I mean, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So, and that, that goes, that's whether or not, you know, maybe birth control is being used to avoid pregnancy and not just for, mal for, for health reasons, but still a woman needs to understand what she's um, saying yes to when she takes birth control. So I think we can see a lot of changes, much earlier diagnoses, so much, much healthier women by simply actually giving informed and having informed consent. Yeah. As you're talking about this, it's making me think of women who are maybe listening and going, I, if I'm not on birth control, like I can barely function. Yes. Um, and I think that's such a hard space. And, and you know, Absolutely. you touched on that with your own story too, that like, you know, it's, hard if you are really struggling to function on a daily basis with really painful periods and you might be having mid-cycle issues as well mm -hmm. and to be told like okay I, I understand long term this could be bad for my health or could negatively impact possibility of uh, you know diagnosis sooner or whatever it might be but it's really hard, I think, to navigate and say, okay, but if I go off of this, I'm like barely That's functioning. True. I'm so glad you said, you mentioned that, Bridget, because you're right. And we do need to be sensitive to those situations. I had severe pain brought me to the emergency room multiple times. Morphine is the only kind of um, drug that would touch my pain. I mean, multiple different months. So I do want, I'm so glad you said that that is understandable. And there are some situations where, where women do choose that and there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. I just want to state that. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm only explaining that we want women to understand what they're choosing. So if that's what you want to choose, okay. But there's also another option. And when the pain is that severe, really affecting your life to that extent, um, if endometriosis is the underlying cause, for example, endometriosis is a surgical disease. 
So that is, that is also an effective treatment option. For NAPRA technology, for example, those are the surgeons that I've used because they have that extra year fellowship in residency and where they were trained to really address not only endometriosis, all its, its, its complicated root system, but also the scar tissue that can develop from the disease that can also cause a lot of pain and, and infertility in and of itself. Um, and that has dra- that drastically reduced my pain. Of course, I had that other adenomyosis issue, which did come back. And that's another story. But um, it's just the point of knowing what your options are so you can be fully informed before you make that decision. This is great. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that point because I know um, I, you know, I can, I can think of friends where they're just like, I don't know what I'm going to do if I, if I go off, like if I, how long yes. is this going to take to solve it? And it, it is challenging. I mean, this is a hard space. There is, there is gray here that makes it mm-hmm. hard because I think aside from, um, you know, I think as, as Catholics, you know, we have, okay, we have this theological understanding around the body and human sexuality that we are taught and this understanding of, okay, you know, how does birth control work? Is it something that we can use in marriage or not? Um, and it's important to have these conversations in context with the body as well, because we are both body and soul. Um, and as someone listening, who's like, okay, I'm not Catholic or Christian, but I think it's still helpful to understand, you know, how do we look at this, um, from these different perspectives and how do we, uh, you know, honestly live in this gray space and say, okay, how do I honor and recognize my body and where it is right now? And, and the pain that I'm experiencing while also trying to understand, like, how do I take care of myself in a holistic way? Um, and, and walking that journey because it is hard and it's foolish for us to say that it's not, or to simply gloss over that, not saying that you're doing that at all, we're not trying to, but I think it's tempting to, especially in spaces online, um, to want to just dance over that and say like, okay, well, but birth control is bad, not only for you, but you know, from a, you know, if you're, um, Catholic, it's, it's bad for you in multiple ways. We talk about this, but we've got to be okay being in that gray and that suffering. It comes back to that suffering again. It really does that universality. And really meeting everyone where they are, no matter where that is. So there's this bottom line of let's be informed, but also let's respect each other and let's listen to each other. And that's again, where we really connect, I think. Yes. And it's, this ties in with another aspect we were talking about before um, hopping down to record, you know, Catholics are known for NFP. I think, um, I think there's a resurgence coming, uh, coming about for natural family planning, fertility awareness. Um, and this conversation is definitely going beyond religious beliefs and speaking to so many women, because we're seeing this talked about in, um, so many different online and print outlets where these conversations are just, you know, being explored. It's not even necessarily telling someone, Oh, you should do it this way, or it's best to do it this way. It's really just like, Oh, here's this like unique way that you can go about it. It kind of falls in line with clean eating, clean beauty, clean living, and gosh, maybe we can do it in a different way for our bodies. Um, Can you just speak a little bit more to the fact that this really is for all women? It doesn't, it doesn't just resonate or have to be for a certain sect of women, you know, whether it's religious or something else that it's worth exploring, especially in the context of um, fertility awareness and infertility. Yeah. It's just funny that you ask because like, as I described before, I'm a cradle Catholic. My Catholic faith is very important to me. I'm a practicing Catholic yet. My charting has zero to do with my faith. Like I can't think of a single reason. I mean, other than just being like being healthy is good. Like that's holy. (laughs) I mean, like besides that, my charting experience with fertility awareness, with restorative reproductive medicine, 
has been needed for my physical health, for my mental health, for my emotional health. I, we've never tried to use like charting to avoid pregnancy. We've always used it. Well, first for health reasons, it was, it's been needed for me. Again, it allowed my NAPRA doctors to gain insight into uh, what was happening into my body to direct inside my body to direct uh, treatment period. And the surgeries were needed to heal, heal me. The, the charting um, would tell me when in my cycle to have my hormone levels drawn because our hormone levels are not supposed to be the same every day. They fluctuate progesterone and estrogen rise and drop at, at, you know, in different ways. So it tells me when to get my, it would tell me when to get my hormone levels drawn. It would also tell me when to supplement my hormone levels that were low. So it does have absolutely have a place um, in Catholicism and Christianity in those conversations, especially as it applies to avoid pregnancy, but it also applies to non-Catholics, non-Christians avoiding pregnancy and wanting a healthy way to do that, who don't want to you know, put synthetic hormones into their body. Um, and again, health is, I mean, seeking our best health is universal, just like suffering is. So again, it doesn't, it, it is absolutely applicable no matter where you are in your faith, in your practice of faith. Um, there is a place for this conversation in all of it. And it's also an opportunity to come together and to appreciate our differences, I think. And also what Emily and I like to talk about in fan base is to learn from our differences because that's what she and I have done. So we recognize that value. That's so great. Yeah. I mean, it really is. You're speaking so much, I think, to the, it's always like the nuances with this, you know, and, and that it's not something that, it's not something that is only used to, you know, uh, uh, avoid getting pregnant. It's something that right. it, it pertains to beyond, beyond couples who are married and whether avoiding achieving, it's also just better understanding of our bodies and our health. And that I think, you know, in the context of faith, I mean, that's a huge part of taking care of ourselves and honoring the body that God has given right. us and taking care of it. Like you said, you know, being, being healthy and taking care, and taking of, care of ourselves <laughs> is good. Yeah. Cause I think sometimes yeah. that statement being healthy, it's like, what does that mean? But really just taking care of yourself, you know, we're, we're in a culture, I think, where we talk a lot about, and maybe you, you, you know, you may say it even in some ways toxic of how often we talk about self-care, but there's, there's some truth to it and it's orienting it in a way that really does honor who we are and taking care of ourselves um, so that we can, so we can serve, so we can show up for the people around us. It's not just for ourselves. It's so that we can be available to others and taking care of them too. And it's important that we do know how we work as women, like how our bodies yes. function. And like you said, our hormones are not the same every day. Like it's important for us to understand that and to really tailor our nutrition, our exercise, um, you know, how we move our bodies so that it really does speak to our own individuality and yeah, our own individuality. It's such a good point because it's not just about us too. Like you just mentioned, I mean, self-care is very important, but we also have a lot of other people that we take care of. It's not just, and we have to be working um, and feeling, working our best, feeling our best in order for us to take care of the people who depend on us. And that was something that was very helpful in my ultimate discernment to have the hysterectomy, the medical hysterectomy. I had had 11 surgeries at that point. 
uh, the adenomyosis had just had brought the pain back to where it was making it very difficult to care for my daughter. We had to depend on family members um, to help us in the day to day. So at that point, I discerned like this would be selfish for me to keep going, to keep having more surgeries when the issue is clearly taken over. And so it was a very hard choice moving forward with that. Um, but ultimately it was a decision to, to care for myself, um, and to care for my family. Yeah. And I think that's, I'm, I'm glad you're, I'm glad we're talking about this and you're speaking to this because I think this is where this, um, discernment and thoughtfulness around how we take care of ourselves and what that looks like is so dependent on each person and their situation and seeing, okay, what does this look like? Um, not only for myself, but for the people I love, for the people I serve, for right. the people that I'm, you know, living with and taking care of, you know, what, and whatever context that might be. Um, it, it becomes, um, it's not, it's not so much that it becomes harder. It's just, there are, there are different, there are these different checkpoints that we have to look at and discern and makes it so specific to each individual person, which okay. is so good. Um, it can be hard, but it's also so good because it's really challenging us to say, okay, who am I? called to be, who am I called to serve? Where, where am I needed? What, what am I called to do and how am I called to take care of myself? And, and those are important questions that we need to be asking ourselves and figuring out what that looks like. Um, I know you had talked a little bit about in your personal journey, you know, when you were diagnosed and you've, you've touched on, um, you know, how this diagnosis changed the trajectory of your health journey, but can you speak just a little bit more to that and, and what that, you know, you, you talked a little bit about your work and how that's, mm -hmm. how that's impacted that, but just to speak a little bit more to how this diagnosis has changed the trajectory of your own journey and, and what you're doing now. Well, the diagnosis, what I focus on with the diagnosis is how late it came. It was about 12 years and it does on average take seven to 12 years for women to get diagnosed with endometriosis, which is crazy because one in 10 women have endometriosis. It's a very common disease. Um, and the fact that it takes so long to get diagnosed is a big part of the problem. So, um, the only reason I even got diagnosed when I did was because I had an endometrioma. So the doctor saw an abnormal cyst on one of my ovaries during an ultrasound. And that was the only reason I even got diagnosed after 12 years. Other, if I didn't have that, like I had a stabbing sharp pain one morning that sent me into the OBGYN for like a last minute appointment. And that's when I was finally diagnosed, which meant I could finally um, get treatment. Now, she the initial treatment was birth control, but also she scheduled the first surgery to remove that endometrioma. If I didn't have the endometrioma, I actually wonder whether or not she would have even done surgery. So my particular diagnosis, not only with endometriosis, but with that endometrioma did finally allow me to get surgery which um, in turn just had my mother talking around to other people. And that's when she discovered the Creighton model and told me about it. And that's how I ultimately discovered it, not till after my first surgery and then discovered NAPRA technology. So it was that frustration of thinking, why in the world did it take me 12 years to get diagnosed? This is not okay, especially because now I'm aware of the, of of fertility awareness and charting methods like Creighton that go, that give us so much detail into the woman's body and in NAPRA technology, 
which is the women's health science aspect of it that cooperates with the woman's body rather than working against it like birth control tends to do. So that fully inspired my motivation to just share my story with younger women. Um, and I also, also like to, I like to highlight, like not everyone has a severe experience like I do, but the, again, the goal is just being informed, just understanding what it means to have a healthy menstrual cycle will, will help us so much in our long-term health, especially as women. This is great. Yeah. I'm just, I'm grateful that you're, you know, we're getting into this just a little bit more so that, uh, those listening can better understand, you know, your work and also just, you know, the one in 10 stat is unreal because it's never talked about really. And I don't like to say always and never usually, but really truly it's almost never talked about. And I think, I mean, we're starting to, once you fall into, or you are intentionally seeking out circles that are talking about holistic health, fertility awareness, you're otherwise not exposed to this information. And so like you said, you know, like you might, if you had not had that stabbing pain and they hadn't seen any ultrasound, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and having that red flag go, Oh, this might be surgery. Like who knows how much longer that you would have been navigating this pain and trying to figure out like, okay, I guess this is just life because my, my, you know, cause you're not, you don't necessarily know the questions to ask. And, you know, again, going back to, I think a lot of times in medical school, like this isn't something that's extensively looked at it's additional training that you have to, to, um, obtain at this point, um, to better understand more holistic options for women's health, or you happen to be passionate as a physician and really focusing on that. I mean, it's very hit or miss. So you may have a physician that just doesn't know the questions to ask either. And between the two of you, you're just not getting answers and there are answers. Um, I know in in interviewing um, Dr. Amy Beckley, founder of Proof, she had said something she said as a scientist to be told it's unexplained infertility. That's that's not that's not how science works. There's an explanation. Let's go find it. Right. Um, And I just love that because it's so true. Um, It it just doesn't make sense to say, like, we don't know. And that's it. Like, normally we would never approach science in that way. It's well, we need to what else? Like, there's more. Let's dig. Let's find those layers. Like, how right. is it possible? Um, That's right. On a on a practical level for for women, um, I, I so I have a couple questions for you. From the standpoint of like, if someone's listening and thinking, you know, I have really painful periods or something just seems off and I need help, what would be your next steps that you would recommend for someone to do to gain more information um, and and just figure out like, you know, step one, two, three, like, how do I do this? Yes. Yeah, so and there's a couple of options I give, I would give to people. The first I well, you can do one of two things. Um, you can begin charting with a fertility awareness method, like the Creighton model also FEM, F-E-M-M. They have um, some, some uh, medical benefits there as well. Um, I would start with a fertility awareness method like that. Or if you're not ready to start with the charting yet, if that seems like maybe a big investment before you're fully on board, I always say you can go directly to one of these physicians. So they have them medical consultants. They also have um, various NAPR technology medical consultants and surgeons all throughout the United States. If your pain is severe enough to where like you can't get up off the floor, I would go straight to the surgeon. It does not mean you're committing to surgery. I want to make that very clear, but you can have a consult and and say like, what are, what, what are my options here? My pain is severe. And then talk to the doctor about it. And then they may or may not send you to begin charting with their method. 
Um, but, but I think that's the best way go directly to the source directly to the physician and, and find out from there. And they will direct you, but you have to find a restorative reproductive medicine surgeon. Um, that would be my best advice. Awesome. Thank you for that. And my, my other question for you, what are helpful phrases or comments to say to someone who is navigating infertility? Because we all know someone, I mean, the yeah. fact that we're just identifying one in 10 women are diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, we know when it comes to miscarriage, it's one in four, but now they're finding it's probably one in three because we're mm-hmm. seeing an increase in awareness of charting and, um, you know, overall increasing bodily autonomy awareness, awareness. Uh, in that regards too. Um, for someone navigating infertility, what, a, what are ways you can support a friend or a coworker who's navigating the journey? So you're not making them feel more alone because that's something I know I've personally struggled with. Yeah. Like, how do I help them? I have good intentions, but I'm probably, I could end up saying something that makes them feel worse instead of making <laughs> them feel like I'm, I'm there for them and I'm, I'm willing to help them in a however way they need it. Yes. What a beautiful question, Bridget. And I will say that for me, I mean, every woman, every infertile woman is so individual. So there is some individuality to, to consider, but I just think the fact that you're asking the questions shows where your heart is and is very, um, that's a very healing thing for me to hear just that your receptivity to that. And I think, I don't, I don't know if it's other than just like, how are you doing, but like, how are you really doing? How is your heart? Like I'm here for you. That's very helpful. I've also find what was hard for me, especially like when infertility was its hardest emotionally, it was just hard to be around other women who don't understand, um, who are having conversations without being sensitive. So I would just say, be aware if you, I mean, we don't always know when there's someone um, who is infertile or struggling with miscarriages around, but if we do, I would just say, keep the conversation sensitive, make sure to include those women who are hurting, who don't have children, who desire to have children, just include them. Um, I have had a couple women ask me if I get pregnant, what's the best way for me to tell you? Like, where is your, to where your heart can receive it the best. That was something I didn't, had no idea, idea I needed. For me, it's a text message, just a simple text message. You know, I can, that way I can send, like, I'm so excited for you. I can send my gratitude, but I can also experience my emotions privately. So just like little questions like that, I think, like, what do you need from me right now can make a huge difference. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that too. And just helping, I think for those who are listening, like, okay, how do I do this? And and it's helpful for me personally, just to say, okay, because I know I have women in my life who are navigating this and it, it is hard to know, like, okay, I don't want to make you feel worse. I want you to feel better. And I think, like you said, just having, you know, having, creating that space to have an honest conversation, to even say that and say, like, I'm, I'm wanting to support you. What do you need? I think that's, um, it's huge. It's so necessary. It's, yeah. um, I didn't realize our theme in this is this, this, this universality of like being connected and also connected and suffering. Yes. And I see it coming theme. through. Yeah. And I, it's, <laughs> it's really beautiful to see it coming through and just seeing the, the beauty and the tenderness in it, even though it is hard and it, and there, yeah. it, you know, it does stink. It, it is like something that can bring you to your knees. Um, and I think just to see that, connection that we have the opportunity to really connect and to receive each other and to be receptive to as much as the joys, also the wounds and the sorrows that we experience. So I'm really grateful that you've been here today with me. I know we're, we're, I could keep talking. I'm like, I'm like 10 more questions. So I'm probably going to have you back, (laughs) Um, but thank you so much for just sharing your own story and being willing to 
um, invite others into that space and just speaking so beautifully to a really challenging topic. It's really just a joy to have you on. And well, Bridget, thank you for bringing awareness to this topic. It means a lot. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, share with your friends and help expand the conversation around women's health. If you'd like to learn more about fertility awareness, visit www.managingyourfertility.com for more information, resources, guides, and so much more.